Hey everyone, this is Achuta Bhava from Nightlight Astrology, and today we are going to take a look at Venus's conjunction with Pluto, which is following right on the heels of Mars's conjunction with Pluto, which happened yesterday. So we are actually going to repeat this exercise that we did yesterday when we took a look at how Mars likes to hide. Um, so today, what I have done is created another list, uh, a list of 10 by... Uh, by popular demand. I actually was not intending to do this, but then yesterday I received so many comments and emails um, and DMs and all that kind of stuff on Instagram, people being like, hey, would you do this again with Venus tomorrow? And I was like, yeah, sure. That sounds like fun. <laughs> you know, where does Venus like to hide? I think it's helpful because again, why are we doing this? One of the big reasons we're doing this is because Venus, when Venus gets into a conjunction with Pluto, of course, you can have this release of almost cathartic volcanic release of pent up energy relative to Venusian themes, people break up, people fall in love, you get swept up into that obsessive, I don't know, one night stand territory, if you're single, um, the obsessiveness can come in or the, you know, what are you attracted to that's really, um, you know, taking hold right now, something you're going to buy or um, something that maybe even, you know, sometimes people become aware of addictions when Venus is conjoining Pluto and the need to purge themselves of um, some unhealthy fixation can present itself. Uh, changes in agreements and relationships in the workplace or romantically can happen. So that's territory I have covered so many times in videos previously, if you go back and look at any of the videos over the past couple of months that I did on Venus Pluto, because I've done a few now, because remember Venus Pluto has happened several times because of the Venus's um, retrograde. Venus went through the conjunction, uh, back through it in retrograde, and is now going back through it again. So we've done a number, we've taken a number of different angles on the Venus Pluto dynamic. Uh, so today we're going to take a look at how Venus hides because uh, like yes, like I said yesterday, when we were looking at Mars and Pluto, um, one of the things that's really interesting about Pluto in particular is the way that the more subtle and unconscious dimension of um, an archetype in our lives can suddenly make itself felt. You can start to notice the ways in which that archetype is there all of the time, or its more subtle dimensions will just be more available to us, more readily understood or seen. And that's, a, that's one of the powers of Pluto. We tend to focus on Pluto as death, transformation, you know, it's like, and I get it because, you know, that's, that's the low hanging fruit with Pluto always is the, you know, the, the tidal wave of transformative force that comes through with Pluto. But also there's this subtle level where the Pluto and Hades is a realm of shade and invisibility um, is missed sometimes. We miss the opportunity to take a look at Pluto as a planet of, um, you know, like very dim lit caverns somewhere deep below in the psyche. And as such, I like to think that um, Pluto often reveals to us hidden dimensions, simple things. Planets hide in the everyday, planets hide in normalcy. I'm going to say some things that are sort of provocative as we go. But you guys know the way that I like to do this. I like to say a few things that are provocative about planets only so that it can challenge our thinking and it can bring Venus 
we can have a more intimate relationship with Venus in the normalcy of everyday life. Okay, so here is Venus with Pluto, uh, and you're seeing this today, March 3rd. If we take this forward one day, Venus will cross over Pluto and uh, then return to the conjunction with Mars, which is not going to happen until they both enter Aquarius by Sunday. So we'll be exploring that conjunction probably uh, tomorrow before the weekend. Okay, so that being said, where does Venus like to hide? <clears throat> so um, these, this is a list of 10 places. This is not an exhaustive list. I'd love to hear you guys add to it. People yesterday were mentioning all sorts of stuff for Mars, and I was just delighted to read, you know, other people getting on board with the exercise. So if you guys, where else does Venus hide? You know, put it in the comment section. This is just a list that I was reflecting on in my own life. <clears throat> so, number one, Venus hides in our fetishes. I think it's really interesting. Of course, when people think about the word fetish, they usually think about a foot fetish or you know some something that's like kind of weird or that actually the word fetish is really common and um and very mundane and everyday. Fetish the etymology literally means made by art, uh, made pretty or neat, or also a fetish could be an object that has a mysterious and even divine power, but it's alluring and it catches us. And also fetishes have a sense of artfulness around them. So if you think of your daily fetishes, that's one place where the goddess hides out. And you can, I mean, even just recognizing that, I don't think you have to be like, okay, Venus, there you are. Let me, you know, let me go grab my robe and <laughs> put it on and, and grab a ceremonial dagger and lift it to the sky and recognize that, you know, I've found you in my fetish today. <laughs> no, no, keep the gods common, <laughs> you know, keep, keep, allow them to hide in our normalcy. It's kind of like, um, okay, let me give you an example. <laughs> Uh, my kids like to play hide and go seek, but they, they don't like to announce when they're going to play it. So they'll just hide. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden I will notice, oh, oh, they're hiding. So, and they might see me seeing them knowing that they're hiding, but it's understood. No, no, daddy. Now you pretend like you didn't see me and then you come find me. Right. And so it's almost like there's a game that we play with the gods. They're hiding in our everyday lives. And if we spot them, they know we've spotted them. But we go on letting them hide. Because it's this kind of hide-and-seek game that we want to play with these archetypes every day so that they, they continue to have the power to speak. It's like in relationships when someone always has to talk about what you're feeling and thinking all the time. You know, it gets a little annoying, like let's leave some room for subtlety or nuance not that I particularly enjoy people who don't like to talk or articulate how they're feeling, but you get what I mean. So let the gods hide. They hide, Venus hides in our fetishes made by art, artificial, pretty, neat, an object having mysterious power. Number two, Venus hides in cleaning. It's this everyday thing that we do, but cleaning means bright and gleaming, which 
similarly was uh, some of the associations with Venus as phosphorus, um, as a star and also a goddess has uh, similar etymological roots as bright and the bright and gleaming one. So there's a, there's a, there's a, um, a quality of something that's bright and gleaming, gleaming that is associated with the goddess and with Venus, the star. So when we clean and try to make something clean, there's a sense in which we're bringing a little star, a, a little um, Venus star power into our space. I think that's interesting because Venus was traditionally associated with cleanliness, especially the cleanliness of temples. Venus hides in how we touch. Did you know that the etymological roots of the word touch uh, have um, an association with the striking of a bell? That, that, that the word touch uh, is connected with the idea of uh, striking a musical like note or resonance or so, something that um, can resonate. So touch, the way that we touch things, literally um, there's a, a sense of like a, a, a music, the striking of a note or a tone in touch. I think that's interesting because of course, Venus is always talked about as sensual, but we don't really think about touch, like grabbing my tea mug or touching the, my microphone. We don't think of touch as something that fills our life with a kind of music because we take it for granted, but that's Venus hiding again. Venus hides in our charm, whether we're being charmed or charming. <laughs> um, to, to charm means to win over by pleasing. It also has the sense of something to, to fill something else with desire. Isn't that interesting that you can fill something else with desire, that you can, in a sense, intoxicate something or someone else with desire because this word charm also has the connotation of like bewitching or um enchanting someone so to there's there is a um there's a sense in which venus hides in the way we are charmed and the way we charm other people so i love making venus a little witchy so excuse me <laughs> but i think that's good Venus hides in our jealousy. The word jealous means something like a zealous, intense longing. A lot of the times I'm like, let's make, let's make Venus a little wicked, just a little, because every planet needs to have a little wicked in them. And why is it that when we come to the goddess of love, we always have to talk about, you know, it's not, Venus is not like agape, you know, what it could be a little bit, but it's not, Venus can also have these very, passionate, zealous, um, possessive kinds of qualities. So a zealous longing that you, you, there's a burning and an anger that's present in, in how we desire. And, uh, the goddesses are no exception in any mythology around the world from becoming angry or becoming intense or fixated on something that they want, um, or what they're intending or something like that. Um, and I just think it's a different kind of power and it's, it's important not to make the goddess so alien from God, quote unquote gods that, um, they don't share some, you know, characteristics in common when it comes to, um, their, especially like the, the more aggressive side, 
aggression does not belong alone to any one god. Aggression is expressed differently by all gods, um, in a sense. So uh, Venus, number six, hides in images to copy or imitate. And this is one that I, I really, um, I feel really strongly, really passionately about. I've been reading a book lately called Bhakti Shakti, and it's about, um, you know, <clears throat> um, goddesses in the um, Bhakti yoga tradition. And the authors, who's a woman, um, talks a lot about the goddess as um, in this world, there's, and this, this is why I say Venus hides in images. An image is something that, you know, think of it as like a copy of something, but it also is an imitation of something. And one of the things that I thought this was interesting that this author said, and you guys don't have to agree, this is a little provocative, I know, but she said, I'm really tired of the new age getting it wrong when it comes to women and goddesses. And she said this, she said, women are not goddesses, women are mortals. <laughs> but the best thing about the goddess is that the goddess responds well to imitation. By imitation, we mean to put on the costumes and to adorn oneself and to somehow imitate that goddesses are brought into our lives. They act as patrons in our lives when we imitate them and um, almost like dress up like in a costume, like make things beautiful or dress like a goddess. But she was saying the goddess is being worshipped in, in that kind of imitation in image and that, but, but keep the goddess transcendental which means that the goddess is a transcendental being, just like a god is, like, I'm not a god, right? I'm not um, Zeus. I'm not Mars. I'm not an archetype. I'm a human, right? I'm in a human, I'm a soul in a human form right now. Uh, doesn't mean maybe they're, that souls can't also inc incarnate god forms or demigod forms or whatever. But I'm saying, what was so interesting about this book to me was that she was saying, like, there's this whole movement that are like, women are goddesses. Well, you know, and, and as much as I like, I feel that for my girls, my wife, I also really appreciated what this author was saying, which was something along the lines of, you know, women are not goddesses. Uh, women uh, imitate and exalt the image and appearance of the goddess in order to invoke and have this relationship with her, which can sort of dwell within, but you're, you're not like, you're not a goddess. And I thought that was, and she said, she said, we need to do that so that we can have relationships with the goddess because the goddess, like any other God doesn't like hubris. It doesn't like people pretending that they're gods. It likes you to be a human with a soul that can have relationships with gods. So her whole thing was about reorienting, at least in this one chapter of the book, was sort of reorienting how we talk about, well, this was for groups of women. So this is like her addressing women and how women address the goddess. What do you guys think? Agree, disagree? I thought it was interesting. I'd never heard, quite heard a take like that. And so it really stuck with me. I found it very provocative, but I generally... I generally agreed with her just in the sense that I appreciate the desire to keep the gods transcendental. Like we beings are not gods. We 
share space with numinous powers and relationships with divine beings. And there's a godlike nature indwelling, but um, yeah, I'm not, uh, I, I really love Venus, the idea of Venus hiding in how we imitate or copy things that we find to be transcendent and beautiful, that, that that's part of how we exalt Venus. And that's also where she hides. Isn't that interesting? So Venus also number seven hides in jubilance, gladness, and the, the things that we gladly exalt. So wherever there's a sort of glad exaltation where laughter overtakes us in a kind of joyful state, uh, there's Venus. And again, but isn't that interesting how in that one, there's also a sense of that which we exalt and lift on high. It's as though if I'm trying to identify too strongly with Venus, uh, whether I'm a man or a woman or anything, and I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm the goddess, the goddess is me and me and I am the goddess. You lose that ability to be in touch with the goddess as an archetype, which requires some form of uh, mimicry, not mimicry. Um, what did I say earlier? Um, copying, imitating, and exalting. It's something that's other, something that's apart, and something that's being lifted up in a state of almost like um, gladness or joy or desire. Uh, so, and, and, and I, would, I would say just to um, go back to the last point and that sort of provocative thing that the author was saying that I mentioned, that there's a sense in which when I look at like women in my life who I would, you know, you know, kind of um, casually say, you know, they're goddesses in my life or whatever. When I think about what I mean by that, I really mean that they somehow seem to have a close relationship with the goddess and somehow invoke and exalt that quality in how, in maybe how they dress or speak or treat other people or the quality of that, that way in which they might make artful things, the fetishes, making something pretty beautiful, striking a bell in the way that something is said. And in all of that, though, I don't think, oh, that is the goddess. I think somehow they're able to in invoke and exalt this quality that then adorns them. And that's one of the key things about Venus is that Venus is, uh, Venus rules adornment. And so there's, there's some way in which the goddess is never you can't hold or possess or become the goddess. You have to be close to her, but um, you can only do so by a kind of process of adornment, if that's making sense. So anyway, I've been teasing this out, playing with it. My thoughts are not conclusive. And I'm also, I don't have the experience of being in, you know, um, I'm not, I don't, I like identify as a woman. So obviously um, I, I, leave this open to you guys, but I was telling my wife about it and she, she was, she read the book recently as well, Bhakti Shakti and um, was really moved by it. So, okay. I'm nervous that I'm like going to piss everyone off today, but whatever Venus is conjoined Pluto. So it'll, it'll be par for the course. If I do Venus hides in secrets. Did you know that the word secret has the connotation of concealing your private parts? Hmm. So, you know, but that's not, obviously it's a metaphor. What we hide or what we conceal is also has the meaning of something that's set apart. There it is again. Anything that is beautiful has the sense of being set apart and maybe hidden or protected in secrecy 
from being looked at or touched. Um, I think that goes too far. Obviously, like you can see in, you know, in some cultures and times in history, women shouldn't be seen at all. Or, and, you know, I know in certain religious traditions, um, whether you like it or not, just a statement of fact, women are basically veiled and you can't see them at all. Um, there's something about that that could go too far and become sort of uh, maybe tyrannical or something. But then there's something about Venus that I think very naturally has the desire to be like when I was a kid, there was a movie that my mom uh, had us watch one time. And I, I, I remember as a kid being like, oh my God, you're going to make us watch this. But then I ended up really liking it. And it was like a PBS presentation of, a, of, the, of the, um, the secret garden. Do you guys remember that? So here's this idea of um, this little girl who finds um, the secret garden while she's staying. I don't remember the, the story, but she's staying at someone's house and she finds the secret garden and it's beautiful and it's hidden and it's secluded and it's full of wonder. And that to me is like e exactly the playground of the goddess. And that's why I also agreed with this woman in the book when she was like, you know, the, the, the goddess is going to flee in some ways if we start trying to flaunt and be like, I am a goddess, like, right? Like that kind of like, no, the goddess needs some kind of like you adorn, you evoke, you suggest, but you don't kind of identify too intensely with goddesses interestingly so many of them in greek mythology are virgins which does not mean asexual or it doesn't mean chaste and prude or it means not able to be possessed owned or married and there's something about that that we can bring in and get we can come bring that energy close to us but in order to do so we have to be careful there's like an allure and a secrecy and a sense of setting something apart and, you know, like the secret garden, there's a privacy around it. Venus, when she comes out of the foam is immediately adorned and covered. And I don't think that's out of a sense of like prudishness, or I think that has to do with um, the power lies in suggestion, in proximity, but nothing too direct, something like that. Anyway, uh, Venus hides in taste. Now you could say taste is, you know, with your mouth, you're eating something, but taste is obviously something that extends into all other areas of life, but it means a careful choosing and arranging the word cosmos, right? A, it means a carefully constructed order. And it has the same etymological roots as the word cosmetic, like as in makeup and Makeup, of course, is to adorn, to um, create a display, but also, like the word cosmetic, uh, also suggests um, something that imitates a higher order, right? So the cosmos was thought of by ancient mystics as a kind of physical representation of a transcendental world of, of gods and uh, divine realities. I think Venus is in the the idea of choosing and arranging carefully in order to reflect something that is so beautiful that it can't fully, that's why image and imitation are also important to Venus. Um, Venus hides in our gaze. 
uh, when, whenever we gaze upon something, you know, the word gaze has a connotation of stars and wonder. So whenever we look upon something deeply, not just plainly or commonly or functionally or materially, but when you start gazing into something, there's a sense that you start to see the stars. You start to see something wonderful and otherworldly. And that kind of attraction is Venus's territory. Um, so I thought this would be a fun exercise for today. Um, all just stuff to consider. I hope hopefully nothing too provocative. Um, one of the things that I, I believe is really important, and I will maintain this over and over again, uh, is that let the gods be gods and let us be mortals for now. Uh, of course, we have a godlike nature. Of course, everything shares in divinity. But in creation, for us to know, I mean, I'm not the tree. Isn't it amazing that I'm not so that I can actually get to know the tree and have a relationship with it? Isn't it amazing that I'm not the crows or the owls or any of the animals that are in the woods behind my house that I can hear at night? Because then I can take in their sounds. They can touch me just like the striking of a bell with Venus and I can relate, you know? So, but in order to do that, there's some way in which we have to uh, um, be careful of the hubris of getting like conflated or identified with um, the God. And uh, I think the only way of doing that is by starting to recognize the presence of divinity in our lives it's so close, it's so present that the gods literally rule organs in our bodies. You know, they rule the sound of my voice and, and they rule the image that I present with my hair and my clothes and they're everywhere. And yet the ability to recognize, to recognize that and to be in wonder and joy and to relate to that um, there's nowhere the gods are not, but there's also always space for the soul to come forth and recognize itself in the midst and to uh, individualize because of these relationships become more recognizable. So, and that's really what we, what feels good to us is like, oh, I'm like, I'm emerging as a, as a little soul. I'm, I'm growing in my capacity to comprehend myself. And I'm doing so because I'm also starting to realize these sparkling powers and beings and in nature and, you know, and so forth. So I hope that this talk does a little bit of that for everybody. And uh, in the meantime, I hope you have a great day today and that you're able to get the most out of this uh, Venus Pluto transit, nothing too uh, Titanic comes, but, um, uh, but let me know your stories. Use the hashtag grabbed Venus Pluto in the chat box. I'd love to hear from you guys and your thoughts. And uh, yeah, we'll, we will be back tomorrow to take a look at Venus and um, Mars's upcoming conjunction in Aquarius. I think, I think that's what we'll take a look at tomorrow. All right. Take it easy, everyone. Bye.